take a few moments before I speak, just a few moments to kind of a, a little each time introduce myself a little bit to you. I want to tell you this morning how it became well with my soul. Uh, I was uh, raised in, uh, I started out my life as a uh, Roman Catholic, uh, as a little boy working on my first communion, but then my uh, mother died of breast cancer, and um, my dad switched me over to his church, uh, which was a Protestant church. Now, I was raised in a family where we always believed in God and had a reverence for God, and we believed that the Bible was his word. But the church that we were going to was not preaching this, and my dad was not born again uh, when I was a young child. In fact, the way my dad became a Christian was that he used to read his Bible every day. And one day, he was reading in the book of Galatians, and he came to understand that his good works were not going to make him right with God, and that uh, it was only by faith in Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And he said, I think someone tried to tell me about this one time. And uh, uh, so he went and looked up that man. The man ran a rescue mission uh, that my dad frequented, but the reason he frequented it is he was a produce farmer, and uh, when he had leftover produce, he would take it to the mission, and uh, they would use it to feed the men that came there. And, um, uh, and my dad was doing this as part of his good works in life, because Christians do good works, right? So, uh, uh, and, and sure enough, the man firmed up his faith and his understanding. And my dad said, well, why don't I hear this at my church? And uh, he said, well, not all churches teach this. Uh, and my dad said, well, I want to start going to one that does. And there was one four miles away from our home. We started going there. It was a much smaller congregation. I went from a congregation of 200 to a congregation of about 60. But man, those people would sing. Uh, you know, they sang as though those songs really meant something to them. And uh, the pastor would, uh, you know, call upon different people to pray. And, and, and people would just pray. And I looked and they didn't have notes, cheat notes or anything, you know. And, uh, and the people would give these things that they called testimonies, where they would stand up and they would talk about what God had done uh, in their life uh, during the week. And this was just absolutely amazing to me. And so I started, it started opening my ears and I started hearing the gospel at that church. And then at the age of 16, uh, I, uh, who always thought I was a Christian, actually became a Christian and uh, put my faith in Christ as my Savior. And my life has not been the same since. So that's a little bit about my faith story. But let's turn our attention now to the Word of God. And if you would uh, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 28. And if you don't have your Bible, there's Bibles probably in front of you in the pews there. And you could find today's reading on page 844, 844, Matthew chapter 28. Uh, we're going to read the paragraph that begins at verse 16. I'll go ahead and get started. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you know who uh, this man is? 
Does anybody know who this guy is? His name is Larry Harmon, and he's the original Bozo the Clown. And uh, as Bozo the Clown, which those of you my age and uh, older would recognize, uh, those of you younger, you maybe don't even know what we're talking about, but um, uh, Larry Harmon, Bozo started becoming so popular that they wanted Bozo in more than one place at a time, and not being uh, omnipresent, he decided to duplicate himself. So he started a school, and he said that, I live to make more bozos. I want bozos to be around forever. You can never have too many bozos. Well, I don't know what you think about his philosophy of life. I'm a little more uh, drawn to the fact that I live to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ as perhaps a higher calling uh, in life. Uh, But um, the reason for that is that Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I am the most authoritative person in the universe. And I have the right to tell you, 11 guys, and all my disciples, what I want you to do. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. And so uh, that seems like a very noble person, uh, reason for living your life. Now, remember when we were back in school, and maybe some of you are still experiencing the traumas of this? Uh, I hated diagramming sentences. Absolutely hated it. But uh, there is value in it, and uh, it makes you think very much about the sentence. And I want you to think about this sentence, and I want you to ask yourself, what is the main verb? Now, don't say it out loud. And the reason is I'm being nice to you, I'm trying to prevent you from embarrassing yourself, okay? So don't say it out loud because so many people get this question wrong, all right? What is, I want you to think though, I do want you to think, what is the main verb in that sentence? And if we were to uh, come to the right conclusion, it's the word make. In other words, that's what all of the sentence revolves around there is that word make. And so uh, what is the mission of the church as I understand it? It is to make disciples, to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. And uh, I've asked you this before, and I don't know who all was present on that Sunday, but businesses exist to make money. Churches exist to make disciples. Now, your New England Patriots, um, yeah, they have a mission statement that says, We are building a big, strong, fast, smart, tough, and disciplined football team that consistently competes for championships. Uh, That's their mission statement. But um, we all know that Bob Kraft would not own that football team if it wasn't about making money. So it still stands, even though businesses usually make something or provide some service in order to make money, the bottom line in businesses is to make money. The bottom line in churches is to make disciples. So the central issue for us today is, what does it mean to make disciples? Now, I know that may not be the the most pressing issue of your life at this time. I mean, if you've got financial woes, marital woes, parental woes, Uh, you know, spiritual woes. I mean, those are certainly very important issues. But I can tell you that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this 
is a very important question to you. Maybe there's some stuff that needs some fixing on your way to getting to this, but we are all to be about the task of making disciples. And, in fact, I'm confident that uh, some of our judgment uh, as we stand before Christ and give a report of our life is going to be related to this question that we're asking ourselves today. So I think it is a very important question. So, in general, if you're using the notes that are printed out for you in the bulletin, Uh, Those red letters up there will reflect the blanks that you want to fill in. But in general, disciple-making is the uh, process by which unbelieving people are made into fully devoted followers of the Lord Jesus. That is the essence of what it means to make disciples. But I, I see it as a process in much the way that, you know, you might manufacture a car and that car might start at this end of the assembly line as a as something and then gets pieces added to it as it goes. Even so, disciple-making is a process. What does that process uh, involve? Uh, that's what I want us to think about today. Um, because um, the, and in order to have a well-rounded understanding of what this process involves, I'm going to start with a look at the Great Commission, but then we're going to and see what it says in and of itself. But then we're also going to take a little look back at what Jesus did during his three years of ministry. And my reason for that is I'm assuming that the disciples didn't get to the point where he said, I want you to go and make disciples, and they didn't go like, huh, there's a new concept. I think it was an old concept. It was one that they had already seen Jesus doing. And so that can help. What Jesus did can help round out our understanding of that process. But then what can also help us is what the disciples did in response to receiving the Great Commission and can give us a a well-rounded, fully-orbed understanding of what it means to make disciples. And so within the Great Commission itself, uh, the Lord explains some of what it means to make disciples. And this is why I didn't want you to shout it out, because so many people use that word go, that uh, the word go is what it's all about. Actually, the word go, and, and I, I'm not a grammarian, and I'm not trying to be technical, but I do want us to understand what Jesus said when he gave the Great Commission. The word go sounds to us in our English translations like an imperative, like a command, like this is something you are to do. But it actually is a participle. It's actually an ing word as are baptizing and teaching. So there's three participles in that one sentence that kind of uh, explain uh, or clarify or amplify the meaning of the main verb. So part of making disciples is going, which in essence, even though Jesus didn't say it there, is evangelism. It's going and making contact with people who don't know the Lord. But then part of it is baptizing, and baptism must be very important because Jesus put it right in his amplification of the Great Commission. And then teaching also is a very important part of the process of making disciples. But let's look at this a a little bit more, and let's uh, ask ourselves, biblically speaking, what does the process of making disciples look like? And it does. It begins with evangelizing, where the church and Christians go out, they make contact with people who do not know the Lord, they uh, uh, verbalize the gospel to them, 
with the hopes that they will respond affirmatively to Jesus' offer of eternal life. That's what we mean by evangelism. And in the Great Commission, it's implied in that word going, although it's not fully clarified there. But when we look back on the ministry of Jesus, we read in Matthew 9.35 that Jesus went through all the towns and villages in Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom. Now, when we... See, I like to study the Bible rather than just read the Bible because when you read, you you don't really uh, take that slower approach that we're trying to take here at Hope uh, this year. Uh, If you have to read too much in a day, you're just trying to get through it. This allows us to think a little more meditatively. Think about this statement. Jesus went through all the towns in Galilee preaching the good news. And one day I got to wondering uh, how many towns and villages were there in Galilee. And uh, this guy here, uh, Josephus, is a Jewish historian around the time of Jesus, and he puts the number at about 200. Now, if you think about that, I mean, sometimes when you're watching movies about Jesus, don't you get this idea that he was just kind of this, you know, spiritual rolling stone who just kind of, you know, uh, things would happen in front of him and he would do amazing things with what happened in front of him? This verse leads me to think that he was more of a planner, uh, more ambitious uh, than that. 200 towns and villages. Now, it doesn't mean, the word all doesn't mean all 100% uh, all the time in the Bible, nor in any language, uh, but it does mean the vast majority. So Jesus made it to the vast majority of 200 towns, bringing to them the good news uh, that Jesus evangelized. The disciples knew exactly what he meant when he made the Great Commission, and that's exactly what they went out to do. Because all over the Roman Empire, in 35 years, almost everybody in the Roman Empire had heard the good news about Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm sure that was somewhat facilitated by the fact that the resurrection had occurred within their lifetime and so forth. But there's one microcosmic thing where it says in uh, Acts 19.10 that this preaching of the gospel went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia, not the continent of Asia, but the province of Asia, uh, heard the word of the Lord. Once again, the vast majority of people, at least, heard the gospel in two years as a result of the church at Ephesus. I mean, this is, the, the clearly, the Great Commission involves evangelism. But secondly, it involves baptizing. You see it right in the Great Commission itself. Jesus said, make disciples, baptizing them. And, uh, and then you, you look back on his ministry, and we read that uh, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist or the baptizer. Now, John, when, when he was born, his mom and dad didn't say, we're going to name you John the Baptizer. He grew up and he developed that reputation, and that kind of became what people spoke of him as because he baptized so many people. But here's Jesus coming along and baptizing more people than John. And sure enough then, too, as we look forward to what the disciples did in response to Jesus' great commission, we read that uh, those who accepted his message were baptized. That was on the day of Pentecost. And then all throughout the book of Acts, we see that everyone who believes was baptized. In fact, there's only one person 
in the Bible that we can say for certain was a believer in Jesus Christ and wasn't baptized. And that was the thief on the cross because he didn't have that opportunity. So the disciple-making process involves evangelizing, baptizing, and congregationalizing, gathering people together uh, in a, a large support group called the local church where we all assist one another in trying to faithfully follow the Lord Jesus. And, um, and clearly, Jesus in the Great Commission, you don't see it, but when you look back on his ministry, you don't, you don't see it a lot except that he gathered the twelve and he was able at other times to gather others, and that uh, when he uh, rose again from the dead, there were 120 that were able to uh, gather. So you do see glimmers of it, but it is especially as you move into the book of Acts and the epistles that you realize that churches were started in almost all of the major cities of the Roman Empire. They didn't just go out and proclaim the gospel and get people saved and leave town. They gathered those people together in congregations, in local churches, so that they could support one another in their walk with the Lord. So the disciple-making process involves evangelizing, baptizing, congregationalizing, and stabilizing uh, new and uh, new believers. Uh, my dad used to have a saying, when, when my mother died, uh, my dad uh, was a very broken man, and he just uh, made a bargain with God. He just said, God, if you let me live until I can see my uh, children stand on their own two feet, uh, that, that's all I ask. Anytime after that, you can take me. And, and he meant that. And uh, now he's 80 years old. But uh, so God was, God, you know, was gracious to him. But, um, uh, you know, when a first person first becomes a Christian, they're called a newborn baby in Christ, right? I mean, and a baby doesn't just uh, take care of itself. It needs special attention. New Christians need uh, special attention until they can get to that point where they kind of now know how to pray for themselves and how to go to the Bible for themselves and, and do a whole bunch of necessary things for themselves. And, and that's what we mean by stabilizing. And we do see in uh, the book of Acts that they frequently went back and they retaught uh, and worked with the new disciples. For example, Acts 14, they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to these three cities, strengthening the new disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. So taking new believers and getting them established and helping them stand on their own two feet is a part of the discipling process. And then it goes on from there to, and I can't come up with a better Ising word. If you can, I probably could pull out some money for you because I've been working on this for years. So I use the word Christianizing, um, making thoroughly Christian, uh, taking a person and teaching them so that Every area of their life is going and growing in the direction of God's will. If a person's a, a wife, uh, they're becoming the kind of wife that the scriptures describe. A husband, the kind of husband. Parent, the kind of parent. Uh, employee, uh, the kind of employee. Employer, the kind of employer. Businessman, the kind of honest businessman. Uh, citizen, a taxpayer. Pays the taxes. Doesn't work off the books. Working their lives together in the direction of doing God's will. Uh, so thoroughly Christian uh, in uh, every facet of life. 
And, uh, of course, we see this in the Great Commission, that it involves uh, teaching. But I actually deleted uh, two words out of the Great Commission here. Um, Can anyone pick up on it? To obey, right? Uh, In other words, uh, Jesus didn't just say, teaching them everything I've commanded you. He said, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Uh, You know, spiritual growth is not about stuffing your head full of Bible knowledge. Spiritual growth has not taken place. That's a part of that process, but it hasn't taken, spiritual growth has not taken place until that facet of your life is in conformity with the will of God. Uh, You see, we're to obey everything he commanded us. And we see Jesus teaching. Sometimes he taught hundreds at a time, sometimes all the way down to one-on-one and everywhere in between. His ministry was devoted to teaching people uh, to uh, uh, know the will of God and to do the will of God. And you just cannot read the Gospels without seeing Jesus' emphasis on doing the will of God. And then when you look at the apostles, you see the same thing. The apostle Paul uh, described his and his assistants' uh, ministry like this. He said, we proclaim Jesus Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. In other words, that we might present everyone as a finished product. We're working on bringing everybody's life and every facet of their lives into conformity with the will of God. He said, to this end, I labor. So we've got evangelizing, baptizing, congregationalizing, stabilizing, Christianizing, and then mobilizing, where we help people understand their spiritual giftedness and their unique calling that God has given to them in life. And we put them to work in the Lord's work in the area for which they're gifted and called. And uh, we see this in the ministry of Jesus when we look back on the Great Commission. Uh, There was one time he sent out the 12 two by two. There's one time when he sent out 72 disciples of his uh, two by two. And then when you think about it, his whole ministry, the three years, was all about training and equipping these men and mobilizing them to carry on his work after he was resurrected and ascended. And you kind of get that feel clearly in John chapter 14 through 16. But then looking forward from the Great Commission uh, to what the disciples did in response to Jesus giving them the Great Commission, you see this passage in Ephesians where uh, the Lord gives gifted individuals uh, to the church body. And for what reason? To prepare God's people for works of service, uh, for the works of the ministry, to equip them to do ministry, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of fullness in Christ. In other words, spiritual maturity. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every sorting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. But here's the key. As each part does its work. We're all, as believers, part of the body of Christ. We all have a work to do. The functioning and the health of the body depend on us doing our part. And um, uh, and so mobilizing God's people is a part of the discipling process. So here we are in summary. We, we go out and we evangelize. 
And as we evangelize, most people will not accept Christ. But some will. And those that do are to be baptized. And after they're baptized, they're to be worked into the church family where they can develop the kind of relationships with other people that are going to enable them to faithfully follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they uh, uh, have people within that church family that love them and love on them and care for them and support them and help them with all those questions and all those struggles uh, that new Christians have until they can get established enough that they can practice their spiritual disciplines uh, on their own and they're now considered stabilized and growing. But then we want to take every single facet of life and we want people's lives to be growing, going and growing in the direction of conformity to the will of God, including the equipping of them and the helping of them discover how God made them to serve him and to mobilize them uh, in this work. And so, Just a few uh, questions by way of application as we close this. Um, Personally, where are you at in the process? Uh, Have you believed? If so, have you been baptized? Have you gone before other people and and said, uh, you know what? Just like on my wedding day, I declared my loyalty to uh, 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 the person that's now my spouse. This day, I'm being baptized to declare uh, my allegiance to Jesus Christ. Have you been baptized? If not, then that's something that you need to be thinking about if you want to be identified as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But then, have you been congregationalized? Do you have that connectedness to a local church congregation that you have the kind of relationships within that congregation that are going to be able to support you and help you be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ? To to keep the commitments that you made to Christ on the day of your baptism. And then, um, maybe some of you are really shaky. No one has ever taken you under their wings. And, uh, and, and you just know that you need uh, some personal attention to help you get established and to help you stand on your own two feet. But maybe now, uh, and, and I'm sure this is true with many of you, that we all have areas of our lives that are not going and growing in the right direction, in conformity with the will of God. And uh, to get ourselves linked up with some discipling that is going and mentoring and teaching and guidance that are going to uh, help us to do that in those areas where we need it. And then uh, maybe for some of you, well, no, the areas of your life are pretty much going and growing in the right direction, but you've never really thought seriously about what your specific niche is, what your specific contribution is to the uh, body of Christ. So that's you. And I'll be down front here uh, after the service today. And if I can talk to anyone, if I can pray with anyone, if you have any questions, because I don't profess to make everything crystal clear when I speak, I would be happy to talk with you. I'll be down front here. Um, and then, uh, but, but think about now your concept of church. What is church to you? Is church about making more and better disciples? You know, there's probably thousands of reasons people go to church. Well, there's a bunch of nice people there. I like being with nice people. Or, um, you know, I I get a good feeling about it. Or, um, I've done my duty. Uh, You know, God God will kind of give me a few browning points for showing up at church. Uh, Maybe it'll help my life in that way. Maybe helping your life is all that it's about, like, your life isn't really focused on things eternal. You're focused on things temporal, and, and maybe church can help out with some of that. I mean, these are all 
legitimate. They all have their place. But ultimately, um, the church is about making more and growing disciples of Jesus Christ. So you might want to go to work on your understanding of the local church. But then finally, you might want to be thinking about uh, what is my niche in this whole process of making disciples? What is God calling me to do? What has he gifted me to do? Where can I make a direct contribution in helping the church fulfill its mission of making more and better disciples? Lord Jesus, you know every one of these individuals that are gathered in our congregation here today. You know their hearts through and through. You know what makes them tick. You know where they're at in life. And you love every single one of them and you care about all the circumstances of their lives. There's no doubt about that. And you've offered eternal life to each and every person that's present here today. Lord, we just pray that even after this message is over, that it wouldn't just be forgotten once we walk through those doors, but that we would ponder these things even longer and seek to listen to you and to listen to what you want to say to us and what next steps you want us to take. Spirit of God, continue to be active in the hearts of your people long after this presentation of your word. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.